0: The theme for 2021 is getting used to different. Last year was certainly a different kind of year. And this one is shaping up to be the same. Listen to these and tell me if you can relate. I've absorbed so much hand sanitizer that when I use the bathroom, it cleans the toilet. (laughs) These are signs from the front of restaurants, in front of restaurants. Motto for 2019 avoid negative people. Motto in 2021 avoid positive people. Here's a good one. If you are ugly with pretty eyes, this is your moment. <laughs> I love that. Amen. Sounds like thunder, but the way 2020 went, it could be Godzilla. (laughs) Where's Morgan Freeman? Shouldn't he be narrating this or something? Website. We use cookies to enhance our performance. Interesting. Me too. (laughs) Cookies have helped me get through COVID-19. Season of COVID 19. I've not had the virus, but it, they've helped me survive it. And listen, to all of you out there. Remember when you wished the weekend would last forever? Happy now? <laughs> this year is going to be different, and as the people of God, we must adapt and adjust to the changes. But that is not, and I want to keep emphasizing this, that is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. To the contrary, with God different is always better. When they ran out of wine at the wedding and Jesus turned water into wine, the governor of the feast said, this wine is different, but it's better. And that's always the way God acts. It's always the way he works. It's always the way he does things. He will never, never get locked into being God in the box. He will step outside the box and do things differently, but it's always better than he did on the last time. I need you to look at somebody and kind of air high five them and say, this year is going to be different, but it's going to be better. Would you do that? Amen. Last week, I preached part one of a new series that I'm calling Get the Junk Out and Put It by the Road. In our text, we've been looking at the 26th chapter of the book of Leviticus, and what a chapter. God have mercy, what a chapter. I mean, I've read the Bible through year in, year out for years I've, I've I guess approaching somewhere around 200 times now. And when I read this chapter in the book of Leviticus, it blows my mind. I mean, and especially in Leviticus, I think what happened was you read the first 25 chapters. And by then, when you come to chapter 26, your eyes are kind of glazed over with all the things, you know, the laws and everything. And then you come to 26 and you don't even get the profundity of its message. But what a chapter, it is amazing, it is informative, it is eye-opening, it is revelational, it is inspiring, it is exhilarating. When you read this in particular, the verse that we are looking at for our study, you'll see what I mean. In verse 10, you will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. Woo! I'm kind of like the prophet that the angel woke him up and and said, eat, and he had prepared cakes that were on the coals beside him, and he went in the strength of that 40 days. I do believe I could make quite a lot of headway and cover a lot of ground on just that one verse in my life i want to speak to you this morning from the subject cleaning the junk out of the attic we talked about get the junk out and put it by the road let's talk today about cleaning the junk out of the attic because that's where you're gonna have to start father I ask that you would speak a word that would be insightful and revelational and open our understanding because your word has this amazing, uncanny and remarkable ability to hit us right where we live. But in a way that challenges us and gives us the courage to go on and become who you've called us to be. I want you to anoint the word. Let me hide behind the cross. And would you speak to us now that you might be the one to get the glory and the lives of your people as they begin to grow into the full measure of what this word has to say to them. I ask in Jesus' name. Everybody shouted and said amen. amen. When I was a little guy and lived with my grandmother, she had a house with a large attic that ran the length of most of the house upstairs. Downstairs was great. But upstairs in the attic, (laughs) that was spooky. (laughs) It was eerie. How many of y'all had a house like that? Oh, you don't know what you're missing. It had two large gable windows upstairs in front of the house and to me as a little guy, it looked like one of those Gothic houses straight out of the movies that we went over to the neighbors to see that we weren't supposed to be watching. Entitled Frankenstein and Dracula those kind of movies and it didn't help that my grandmother didn't want us upstairs either and she would tell us all these stories about what was going to get us if we got up there it was it was terrifying We would sneak up there when she was gone. I had two brothers, one a year and a half younger than me and another that was just nine months younger than the other one. And we would climb those stairs and get to the top and that old house was constantly settling and creaking and groaning. So it had its own special built-in sound effects. And there was no light in the middle of the attic either. And the old days they would have a light bulb from Hanging from the ceiling They'd have a string on it And you'd walk in blind Until your hand hit the string You didn't do that in my grandmother's attic There is no way you were brave enough To walk into that room And not be able to see And they had those gable windows Covered up So it was pitch black up there And I'm telling you There were times when we'd be playing and we'd tease one another. You're not brave enough to go up those stairs and go to the attic. No. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You're not. You're you're scaredy cat. And one time my brother Terrell went up to the head of the stairs. And just to be mean, that old house started creaking. I said, Terrell, run. There's something after you right now. And he came charging down those stairs. And we we did that to one another because that's, you know, brothers are good about doing things like that. You know what I mean? To each other. And then after a few years, we got bigger. And when we were older, Nanny sent us up there to clean out the attic. And they pulled down the coverings over those two gable windows. We had flashlights. And that's when we learned we had been terrified over nothing. It changed everything. Our fears about imaginary monsters and booger, boogeymen they, it dispelled in just a matter of a few minutes. And what we had been scared to death of our whole childhood ended. Our fears ended in just a few moments that afternoon. We came to understand it was all in our minds. You see, because sometimes in life you've got to confront your fears Climb the steps and get up in the attic and get rid of what is keeping you from becoming who God called you to be. I wish I could hear an amen. Before you can ever move on to the better things that God has for you, you've got to do some house cleaning. As we look at the word of God And what he has to say to us today, I want to get a little bit more specific this morning than I did last Sunday, and I will next Sunday as well. Hopefully, I established my premise well enough last weekend that for the next several Sundays, I can now drill down. And help us learn how to apply biblical principles to our lives in a way that will enable us to receive God's promises for the better but different things that he has for us in 2021. As we continue to make adjustments and we continue to move forward, God has things in store for you that are mind-boggling. So today, let's talk about cleaning out the upstairs and getting rid of the wrong patterns of thought and the wrong self-images that we often embrace and hold on to, not just during childhood, but these are things we oftentimes never do get old enough to outgrow. I pointed out last Sunday that a part of Moses' assignment was to change the way that Israel viewed themselves and therefore to change the way they thought about life. You see, Israel had been strangers in the land of Egypt for 400 years and and most of that time they had been slaves. After the death of Joseph and the Pharaoh who had elevated him to be second in command of all of the land of Egypt, the scripture has this to say in Exodus 1 in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. After all of the good that Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt in helping to preserve their harvest for the coming impending droughts that were just seven years into the future when God first spoke to him, Joseph was forgotten. The memory of him was gone. Another Pharaoh came to rule. And the people of God that Joseph had brought out of his homeland, the land of Israel, to Egypt to survive that seven-year famine, they were turned into slaves. Israel became enslaved by the Egyptians and the nearly 400 years that they were in bondage and treated as though they had no value had affected their thinking and the way they thought about themselves. You see, people can can treat you like you aren't worth anything. And it, when they begin to do that to you, it cannot help but have an effect upon the way you view yourself after a period of time. If they begin to treat you like you have no value. If you're not careful and you don't know who you are, it will cause you to be questioned the value you actually possess in the eyes of God. This is why abusive relationships are so damaging. It's why parents have to be careful about the psyche of their children as as children are small and, and they're growing up. You can damage a child and a child will grow up and never believe in himself because the two most important figures who best represent God to him in his life, mom and dad, never reflected to him the value that he really possessed. That's why bullying relationships in school can be so very damaging and harmful. It's why all of these years, some of our Anglo brothers might wonder why African Americans still talk about slavery. And it's been, you know, a century and a half ago. It's because of this phenomenon that I'm talking about right now. It is because people tell you something long enough, then you'll begin to believe it after a while. By the way, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And I hope you'll think about all these things that I'm talking about right now. Your thoughts in life determine the outcome of your life. It was the famous automotive manufacturer and industrialist, Henry Ford, who correctly said, whether you think you can or you think you cannot, you're correct. Proverbs said in the 23rd chapter, the 7th verse, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he in life What you call something determines what everybody else will end up calling it. Adam named the animals and everyone else just fell into the habit of calling them by the same thing that Adam called them. What you name things is what other people will end up calling them. Which is why you can never own some of the stuff that people have to say about you. Amen. I think of Gideon. Many years ago, I was reading this passage of scripture that I'm about to read, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Gideon didn't know who he was. He didn't. In fact, I would suggest to you as a congregation that if you want to know the consequences of not knowing who you are, study the story of Gideon. It is eye opening. You will find many people in the Bible who didn't have a clue who they were. Not even like today's society. Oh, they knew their name was George. They knew their name was Tammy. But they didn't have a clue who they were. I think of, for example, Jacob. Jacob is the one that led all of the clan down into Egypt. And yet God called him and told him earlier years before, decades before. Your name is no more Jacob. It is Israel. And he came back along that and back and backstopped it in Genesis chapter 35 and reminded him, you're Israel. And yet, do you know that for decades, Jacob continued to refer to himself as Jacob rather than Israel? And one means prince and the other means scallywag and a heel grabber. He never did have a very highly elevated opinion of himself because in the formative years of his life, somebody had spoken so much detriment and death over him that he came to believe it about himself. And you can come to believe what people have to say about you when God himself is standing there saying, Hello, that's not who you are. This is why... You look at Saul of Tarsus, and you find out that all of the while that he's threatening out slaughter and issuing threats against Christians in the early church, he really has inside of him the apostle Paul. Only he just hasn't figured it out yet. And it takes an encounter with God for him to discover who he really is. And you will never know who you really are until God tells you who you are. Until God shows you who you were meant to be. You need a God encounter. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You need an encounter with your creator. You need an encounter with the mighty God of the universe. You need an encounter with God. To know who you are. People will try to tell you who you are and they don't have a clue. This is why the king of Babylon early on recognized that if he was going to really be able to take advantage of the innate talents and giftings of these four young men he brought in from Babylon, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, that the first thing he had to do was change their names. So he set about changing their names. And and their names all had something to do with with worshiping God and serving God and honoring God. But he changed those names. Daniel became Belteshazzar. And the other three were named names that were representative of of the gods of Babylon. But you see, he came too late. Because the parents of these boys recognize something that many of us don't recognize when we leave our kids to be raised by Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel. Their parents drilled into them who they were. And even though the king of Babylon changed their names, it came too late. They already had figured out who they were in God. And that is why all three of those boys soared to amazing pinnacles of success in a foreign, hostile, pagan government. You can succeed. I don't care if America becomes atheist to the core. You can, your children can make it. You hear what I'm talking about. I don't care if nobody goes to church, but you and your family, your children can become something in this world if you will teach them who they are in God. God has a destiny for their lives. Gideon was so down on himself that he told the Lord, listen to this, Judges 615, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? And I'll, I'll tell you why he said that in the circumstances in a moment, but this is what he had to say about himself. He said, indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And so i'm the, the 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 smallest the least in my father's house, which is the least in the tribe of Manasseh, which is one of the most insignificant tribes in all of israel i want to i want to develop this what I'm doing right now is i'm I'm developing the context of this story and then i'm going to put us right in the middle of it. Israel had become proud, and that's why in judges six that Gideon had an encounter with God in the first place. The Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared to him. But in reality, as you read a little bit further into that chapter, you find it was a theophanic, representation of god it was a theophany what does that mean back in the old testament there was no son called jesus christ and so god didn't have a body and if you wanted to appear to someone he had to borrow some means and so it might be melchizedek in genesis but in this passage in judges he borrows the appearance of an angel but it isn't long until you realize That Gideon figures out this is God. And the Bible said an angel of the Lord was sitting under an oak watching Gideon. And he's threshing wheat in the wine press. And that's not where you thresh wheat you thresh wheat on the threshing floor and you crush grapes in the wine press but he's hiding there for fear of the midianites and the amalekites that have joined together and so what ends up happening in this story is the there's all kind of humor in the bible you just have to know where to look for it and Gideon is scared to death and he's threshing wheat and this angel sitting there and Gideon can't see him because until an angel chooses to allow you to see him he is invisible And so he's sitting there and he's watching this and it's really the Lord. And I just wonder how many of us God is watching us try to do what we need to do in life. Watching, watching our struggle, watching our pain, watching what we're attempting to accomplish. He's watching it and sees us not getting anywhere. And then the angel speaks up and said, Hell, thou mighty man of valor. I told you there's a lot of humor in the Bible. I can imagine that Gideon created the land record for human speed without mechanized or motorized assistance. He is thinking the enemy could come at any moment and the angel of the Lord speaks up and the angels got to go into the next county to get him and bring him back. Israel had become proud. This was the problem. They wouldn't listen to God. They became disobedient and stepped out from underneath the cover of God's protection. Uh, many times people ask me questions about why did God allow this and why did God allow that? And we're getting ready to see that's a more common. Uh, concern and and question than you might have realized but oftentimes it's not because God allowed it it's because we allowed it and we stepped out from underneath our covering the Psalms 91 covering of the shadow of his wings under which we are protected and the result was That because Israel did that and acted in pride and disobedience, that the Amalekites became stronger than they were. And not only that, but they joined forces with the Midianites. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched when you got so full of yourself and you became so self-sufficient and you thought you didn't need God anymore? Has anybody here ever noticed that your enemies seem to start Joining forces together against you. Because when God steps away. Or you step away from God. Inevitably the result of that is your enemies feel empowered. Mm, Yeah. I'm talking to somebody right now. And that's what happened to the nation of Israel. They decided they didn't need God anymore. They'd got all this figured out. And so they stopped serving God. They started building idols. Gideon's dad was a big idol worshiper. They had them in their home. And for seven straight years, Israel sowed. And then just before the harvest came in, the enemy would combine forces and swoop down and would burn their harvest fields to the ground. And what I want you to see is they didn't come in the spring when the ground was prepared, the soil was tilled. They didn't come in the summer when the grain was growing and still green in the fields. They intentionally, deliberately waited until it was harvest season. And you come in one evening and you've been working out there and you say, mama, I'm not going to be home tomorrow for lunch. So... Fix me a sack lunch. I think tomorrow I'm going to start bringing in the crop. And you get up in the morning and grab your sack lunch and walk out the door. And here they come over the ridge. And you see the enemy lined up from one end of the horizon to the other. And they've got torches in their hands. And notice they did not come. Because they needed the food back home. They didn't come because their kids were hungry. They didn't come because they were going to carry the crop away or even sell it. They came for one thing. They came out of spite and meanness. And wanted to burn your harvest to the ground. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Because I wonder how many people in this building... You've taken time to sow, you've taken time to cultivate, you've taken time to grow your crop, and then just about the time you get your hands on it, the devil comes and destroys everything you've been working on. You worked for that raise, you you went to school, you did what you could, you built a career, you built a future, you invested in that marriage, you invested in that company. You thought you would be financially set and then just just about the time you need it, here the enemy comes and burns it all down to the ground. Burns it down to the ground. He doesn't need it. He's out for one thing, and that's to hurt you and bring you harm and pain. You spend years raising kids, and then they go south because they get connected to somebody that was not good for them. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding that night. Mm -mm, Yeah Amen Satan does that all the time doesn't he Maybe it's a marriage You've worked years at trying to Iron out your difficulties And just about the time you think that you're making progress because there's no such thing as two people coming from different parts of life in the world to connect to form one that there's not going to be some turbulence in the middle of a marriage. Somebody told me one time said we've been married for over 50 years and we've never had an argument. I said liar, liar, pants on fire. Amen. I just don't believe that. Amen. I just, yeah, I, I don't see how it's possible. Amen. You were so close to getting your prayers answered. And then the devil snatches it right away. Burns your harvest down. Almost had your hands on it. And you know where it all came from? Where it all started? Pride. 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 Pride ruins many a harvest Many a marriage has been destroyed because one or both of the partners were too proud to humble themselves and say, I'm sorry. Businesses have been destroyed by pride. Pride will destroy your career. It will destroy your finances. Trying to keep up with people that are trying to impress you. So you got to get in the rat race too and spend money you don't have on stuff you don't need. And they never will like you just the way it is. Amen. And can I be honest that pride has destroyed many a Christian. It's destroyed many a pastor. Many a church. And you might ask why I'm talking about pride when it was clear that Gideon's problem was deep-seated insecurity. He didn't say when the angel of the Lord, the theophanic presence of God, the theophanic presence of God stood up and said, you know, Hail, hey, mighty man of valor. Gideon didn't say, oh, that's me, all right. Show me where they're at. I'll roll up my shirt sleeves. I'm ready to go. Uh-uh. No. No, he said, who are you talking to? Mighty man of valor? What? Me? Yeah, Pride. Because the tragedy is that what we often think is pride is actually something else. And I want to explain and then I'll be done. Pride is actually much different than what most folks realize it is. Most Christians have been taught... That one of our biggest struggles is against pride and that's absolutely correct. And it's something you'll have to deal with in your life. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But we think pride is smugness. We think it's self-sufficiency. We think it's this arrogant look and attitude where I'm all of that. And what we don't realize is those are just the symptoms. It's like losing your taste and your sense of smell when you have COVID. It's like the fever. That's not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. And what do I mean by that? That most people who come across as smug and prideful, are you ready for this? Are actually deeply insecure. They haven't figured out who they are in God. So they learn to mask their insecurities. And so many people that have self doubts learn that when they, they, they have a little something and get a little success, that you know, then if, if you're not careful, it will go straight to your head. Because if you know who you are in God, things do not enhance your identity. People become arrogant in an effort to hide their deep seated inadequacies and insecurities from one another. They don't want you to see their weaknesses, lest they feel like Adam and Eve, naked and exposed. So they'll grab fig leaves, smugness, pride, arrogance, self sufficiency, and really it's just a fig leaf covering. The area of their life where they feel most undone. They hide from meaningful relationships. They won't let you get close. Have you met people like this? You get close and you start to walk in and they throw their hand out just like that. And I'm not talking about social distancing either. I'm not talking about because they're afraid you might make them sick or them make you sick. I'm talking about they keep you at an arm's length away. You know why they do that? They're afraid if you get too close, you will see beyond the fig leaf. And you will see who they really are. So they hide from meaningful relationships. And people who do that inevitably are people who were deeply wounded by those closest to them. So they're not gonna ever let anybody else get close to them and do that to them again. And I'm talking to somebody that in this new year, your future and the key to it being unlocked is you're gonna have to learn how to be different. And you're gonna have to learn how to trust again and believe again. Hello, somebody. And stop hiding anymore. That's the moral behind the emperor's new clothes. The children's fable by Hans Christian Andersen, isn't it? Remember the story? In the story, the emperor is vain and needed people to look up to him so badly that two con artists hear about him and they say, this guy is a stooge, man. We're going we're gonna to take him down. And they show up and they talk about, we're going to build you the best robe. We're going to create it. We're going to weave a robe made of light beams and all of these jewels and rubies and diamonds. And, and they set to work in this vain king who needs everybody to look up to him empties his treasury and gives him the wealth of his kingdom and these two swindlers pretend that they're sitting at a weaving loom weaving fabric when there's nothing on the loom and the king sends some of his representatives there and his officials and these two swindlers have said now here's the the thing about this new cloth that we're weaving you can't see it unless you are among the exceptional and the intelligent and those that are wise. Well, these poor officials don't want to be thought of as unwise and so they go in and they can't see anything and the swindlers say see what we're doing look at this and they say oh it's beautiful it's beautiful and they rush back to tell the king and the the emperor comes he can't wait to see it and he looks and he doesn't see anything either And but he doesn't want to be thought of as unwise either and so they go through the whole process until they have bankrupted the kingdom and then they even go so far as to pretend to be dressing him And there's a parade and all of the citizens are out lining the streets and they don't want to be thought of as unwise either. And so they are, look, it's amazing, beautiful, nothing like it, except for one little boy. He looks and says, king doesn't have any clothes on. And the whole thing falls apart. Boy, if that is not a story about life, I don't know what is. And many of those ancient fables like that were founded to give us insight. They were written to help us understand something about human nature. That little child, Jesus said, Matthew eighteen three: Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Amen. You can't live for what... The others have to say about you. You can't live for the applause of a crowd. You can't live for the accolades of men. You've got to live for what he has to say about you. Come on, somebody, give the Lord some praise in this house. That's why in psychology, there's something called a self-perception of ugliness begs ornamentation. If you think you're ugly, you'll do everything in the world to dress that up. And you'll hide your ugliness behind no disrespect to our beautiful ladies, a ton of makeup, clothes you can't afford, a haughty attitude, a prideful spirit. You'll become a workaholic. And you know what you're really trying to do is impress somebody. But do you want to know what real pride is? Listen, because I'm going to talk to you and then I'm done. Pride is taking a position on a matter that is different from what God has to say about the same thing. Somebody understands that, give God some praise right now. Amen. I'm really done. Just a few more minutes. And what do I mean by what I just said? I can explain it like this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why does he say there's no God? I know more than you Christians know. That's pride. What's that a cover for? Some kind of insecurity that is on the inside that he needs to feel good or fix and make himself feel better about. People take positions even in the kingdom of God and in the church that are different from what the scripture teaches. Oh, it doesn't mean that anymore. Bible doesn't say that. You don't need to do this. That's not what the word of God meant. That was good for 3,000, 2,000 years ago. We don't live like that today. I want you to know God lives outside of time. And when he spoke, he spoke from eternity into time, not the other way around. Somebody give God some praise in this house because I'm done. And you say, wait a minute, but his word is forever settled in the heaven. Oh, I don't believe that. That's the true definition of pride right there. It's taking a position on a matter that is different from the one the creator has taken. Let me go a little bit further. God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, no, Pastor, I've been to school. I know all the while about Darwinian theory. I know, I know about evolution. I know about the survival of the fittest. Listen. Pride is taking any kind of a position that is different from what God has to say. Which is why we have to stand and build our future and our faith upon the unalterable, unchanging word of almighty God. Hallelujah. This is what's going to help you when you're in a hospital room with COVID. This is what's going to help you when you lose your job. This is what's going to help you when you feel alone. This is what's going to give you direction in your life. This is where your breakthrough is coming from. It's the word of almighty God. When God speaks it, you can't be denied. You see, pride is really indicative of the fact that you haven't figured out who you are yet. And once you learn who you are and begin to function in the capacity that God created you to function in or what we call your destiny, something happens inside of you. A flip, a switch gets flipped just like that. And you will never be the same ever again as long as you live all of a sudden, you don't need somebody to prop up your feelings about who you are, whose opinion doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things anyway. Hallelujah. And you aren't always fishing for a compliment. And if nobody gives you one, it's not the end of the world. Now, how did it do? I do Okay. I will often ask my family that. You know why I do? This is what I ask them. Did I communicate my point? Because that's what I want to know. I want to know, did I get my point across? Because that's what's going to change people. But at the same time... Ask our staff what I tell our staff is compliments don't help me. If you want to help me point out the flaw, point out where I went wrong, point out what we can do better. Help me create a better product because that will bless people. Amen. And wrapping this up, you become more productive when you find out who you are. When you know who you are. You make better use of your time and your energies, and and when you don't know who you are, you become paralyzed and incapable of act incapable of acting. You're confronted with a dilemma. and You're like paralyzed into immobility and. Uh, uh, I don't know what to do. That's because you don't know who you are. If you know who you are, you know, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm a child of God. I may be 16 years old, but I can kill that Goliath out there. I can take that giant out. Amen. When you don't know who you are, if you do act, it's usually on this basis. You know, I'm going to do something even if it's wrong. <laughs> and 99% of those kind of decisions are wrong. <laughs> Every once in a while, you might look out and get one that turns out okay. When you think too little of yourself, others begin to think too little of you too. And then they begin to expect too little from you. They will fail to see the value in you and that will confirm, listen, this is so important. When others fail to see the value in you, it confirms your poor opinion of the value that you possess. And you say, they're they're right, I, I knew I didn't have much value, not much worth. And I wish that somehow I could help every member in this church. Understand that the key to knowing who you are is to look at St. Luke 3 and St. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world. That's you. Somebody ought to give him praise. Praise. That's you, that's you, that's you. Judges six, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty men of valor. And Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? And we're all of his miracles. And there you go with what I started with in the beginning. You start looking at everything you went through and all the problems you've had. And you you interpret your value on the basis of those experiences. And if they've been bad, you don't think you have value. And the Lord turned to him. Now we know it's not just an angel because the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Do you see what's going on? That before God could use Gideon to deliver his people, he had to clean out the attic. He had to get some stuff out of upstairs. Scary. You better know it can get scary. When you start digging around in that mess up there, you find rejection. You find relationships that were fractured. You might find divorce. You might find all kinds of things and abuse, but you got to get it out because you don't want to spend the rest of your life living as a reaction to that. And do you know that's one of the single most important things that we do here at church? Psalm 77 and verse 13 said, Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Your way is in the sanctuary. You come to church because when you are here, you're constantly having your thought processes pummeled and pounded and examined by Scripture. God's instruction to Gideon in verse 25 and 26. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal. What? That your father has? Hey, well, Gideon, hey, hey just, just a moment. Let's rewind. Didn't you just say a while ago to the angel of the Lord, to the Lord, I don't know why all this is happening. I can't figure it out. And yet you just overlooked so conveniently the fact that your daddy's got idols in his home. You go tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And notice this, and this is really where I'm done. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. This is what God said. Tear the mess down. Clean the attic out. Clean it out. Get up there. Climb the stairs. Get it down did it down. Turn the light on. Turn the light on and then you build God's altar on top of where that one used to be. Woo. I could preach a sermon just right there. Somebody in this room, your seven years of loss have come to an end. Your seven years of losing your harvest have ended, if you can get this. Your seven years of having the enemy swoop down and burn your harvest fields, it's ending today. 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 I need somebody to say it's ending today. I'm not losing another marriage. I'm not losing another business. I'm not losing another job. I'm not... I'm not Stand with me across the building If you would please Build my altar on top Of all that mess Clean it out Get it out of the attic Destroy it Burn it And then build my altar on top of it You see, because God's altar has got to be higher than anything else you're devoted to. Your devotion to God's got to supersede anything else that exists in your life. You've got to love God more than money. You've got to love God more than sports. You've got to love God more than your life. You've got to love God more than your job, your career. You've you've got to love God more than anything. Build my altar on top of everything else and we mess up there because oftentimes we have this altar here and another altar up here and God said you need to flip the script and reverse that who am I talking to right now who am I talking to right now I'm talking, Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Who am I talking to right now? I'm talking to somebody that God's getting ready to let you reap the harvest that you've been losing. You're going to get your hands on it. You're going to get your fingers around it. Every head is bowed right now and every eye is closed. If you're in this room or watching us online, No matter what part of the world you may be in, all six continents, because we have people that tune in every Sunday from all over the world. If you've never given your heart to God, I want you to do so right now. If you're sitting in your living room, when I ask this question, you raise your hand. If you're here in this building, I want you to raise your hand. How many here need God in their life? Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I need God. I need God. God bless you. Come on, keep raising them. God bless you God bless you God bless you and you I see your hands God bless you continue to raise them God bless you sir God bless you up in the risers I see you at the top God bless you Father in the name of Jesus I pray for every precious soul every one of these who are lifting their hand whether in this building or at home save them come into their lives right now how I wish that we could gather together and pray in the altar but they won't let us do that it's not safe yet and so Lord I know that you can pray and touch somebody around the world if that's the case you can touch somebody sitting in this building or somebody that's at home this morning watching this. at home write their name in the book of life Today we acknowledge your Lordship and declare you are our Lord and Savior from this time forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen.